at 5 p.m. on the 17th of January, 1961, Patrice Lumumba arrived in Katanga, a move that was organized by the British, American, and Belgian governments, as well as the government of the DRC. By 10 p.m., after a long torture session, he was shot to death by a firing squad under the command of two Belgian law enforcement officers. Lumumba, as well as other African leaders, were faced with a stark choice. In the face of neocolonialism and a system that wanted to subjugate Africans yet again, they were given the choice between lead or liberty. Combattant de l'indépendance, aujourd'hui victorieux. Je vous salue au nom du gouvernement congolais. À vous tous, mes amis, and by the colonial powers of Europe having complete control over Africa, they projected the image of Africa negatively. They projected Africa always in a negative light. Jungles, savages, cannibals, nothing civilized. Africa is rich and not poor. As the great world that has been taken out of our continent over five centuries of spoliation and extortion, very well pushed. In this series, we're going to be investigating the mysterious murders of African leaders and other leaders in the global south by the West and Western Europe in general. We hope that you enjoyed this series and that you'll take a lot from it. And let's get into this episode, specifically focusing on the assassination of Patrice Lumumba. Let's take you back to 1960, to where it all started. Before we get to the DRC in the 1960s, let's look at the DRC before that, when it was Leopold's Congo, or just the Belgian Congo. And we'll look specifically at the testimony of a missionary named Edward Wilhelm and his book, In the Shade of the Palms, published in 1907. But it tells us about the story of his missionary work there and his what he witnessed amongst the Congolese people during that time, mainly in 1892, that's when he arrived. And this is what he has to say about the DRC and how the locals were treated. Left Equator at 11 o'clock this morning after taking on a cargo of 100 small slaves, principally seven or eight year old boys with a few girls amongst the batch, all stolen from the natives. They talk of philanthropy and civilization. Where it is, I do not know. Of the liberés brought down the river, many die. They are badly cared for, no clothes to wear in the rainy season, sleep where there is no shelter, and no attention when sick. The 100 youngsters on board are ill cared for by the state. Most of them are quite naked with no covering for the night. Their offense is that their fathers and brothers fought for a little independence. So as we can see from this extract, the Belgian state was extremely violent towards its colonial subjects, especially in terms of demanding them to work and enforcing harsh laws to ensure that they complied with working conditions or working regulations. Any form of dissent was dealt with extremely harshly. So the question is, why did Belgium take such an interest in the DRC? And the answer can be boiled down to the word rubber. That was the key resource that they were able to get from the DRC. And in a world where industrialization was on the rise, where Dunlop as a company had just come about, and they were selling bike tires, where World War I was going to take place, and you had to create boots 
you had to make conveyor belts in order for this industrial uh, process to actually be facilitated. The DRC became a very, very key colony, especially when it came to these materials. And you can also look at the bronze and brass castings that were used in artillery shells in World War I. The, a lot of these actually came specifically in the Battle of the Somme. A lot of them came from the DRC. Now, the most striking one that I keep mentioning to people that a lot of people don't realize is that two-thirds of the uranium that was used in the near, near, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs that were built by the U.S. in the Manhattan Project, those came from the DRC. And they were sold to the U.S. by a Belgian businessman. So again, this is a major, major historical impact in terms of the resources of the DRC. Even till today, there's a reason why the DRC is in the current state that it is. And that is because of the cobalt that is now coming out of there. And this is a major reason as to why the US would want to take interest, especially when there's the Cold War, and especially as well for Belgium, why they would want to hold on to those materials as well. And this is the context in which the assassination of Patrice Lumumba was to happen. So upon independence, what you actually find happening is very interesting and, if you ask me, very convenient. In the region of Katanga, they decided that they were going to secede from the DRC. And this is after Lumumba threatened to nationalize the resources of the country. He believed that in order to escape neocolonialism, the country needed to get control over its resources so that the West would not have access to them. They did not want to become a resource well for the West to just extract resources and raw materials and to sell them back to the DRC at higher prices or to even use them profitably in their own way without even considering the DRC in the equation. So the Congolese army mutinied. They were not happy with this decision. And because Belgium felt that the citizens that were still there were under threat, they sent their army to the DRC. And they started to place their troops in different parts around the DRC. In such a situation, Congo had no other option but to ask the United Nations for help. And at this stage, when the U.S., st and still actually arguably today, the U.S. has a large amount of influence on the U.N., it did equally so have influence, if not one of the largest influences on the U.N. at the time. And obviously, when there was complications with this or there was doubt in relation to this, Lumumba also reached out to the USSR for help when it came to the DRC and getting Belgium out and getting out any foreigners from the country that were seeking to extract minerals for the purposes of profit and were opposing Lumumba's project of anti-colonialism. This is the context in which all of this is happening. The UN sent 20,000 peacekeeping forces to the DRC and their job was to simply ease the situation in Katanga and unfortunately as we'll actually look into some journals that uh, indicate, uh, sorry, some articles that indicate that the, the UN actually wanted to stay in the Congo and the US was very much supportive of this. Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the Secretary General, wanted it to be more or less a trustee of the United Nations, the DRC. And this was something that Lumumba did not agree with. And this is why he eventually went to the United States and he was met by a procession and also met by some ambassadors and some members of government in the US to discuss this specific topic. Upon Lumumba's arrival, although he did not get to discuss this whole UN neocolonialist project with 
the US president Dwight D Eisenhower at the time. He was met by some government officials and he had a 19 gun salute in order to show their respect for him. And when he went to the US he also said in uh, sit in a place called the Blair House which is a very high class accommodation. And the Belgian king had also stayed there the previous year. And this entire treatment of Lumumba, this entire trip was seen by the Belgians as the US taking sides. And this built a lot of tension and you, you as you can see in some of the writings between the ambassador and some of the the royal family members within Belgium they're taking an extremely racialized stance on Lumumba and how he was treated despite the fact that he was a head of state and also i think it stung them a bit more because to them this was a former colony of theirs and they had lost that glory of being able to have the colony with them so this obviously caused issues now between the US and Belgium and Dwight D Eisenhower having already had experience with NATO and Belgium was a part of NATO as well they he was quite worried that these tensions would cause Belgium to actually want to leave and there are letters from the foreign minister of Belgium his name is Spack i believe and he sent a letter or was about to send a letter to Dwight D Eisenhower saying that they were going to leave NATO because the US was taking sides and was not being impartial in this issue of the Congo. It was through this context that Belgium decided to push the US and tell them they needed to be more decisive in world matters, including that of the Congo, which is why the US began to they actually organized a meeting uh, of the National Security Council on the 18th of August of 1960. And there they actually discussed possibly getting rid of Lumumba. There's one person in that meeting that testified that said that Eisenhower did point blank order for Lumumba to be killed, but the other sources that disagree with this and others are also unsure. They did not remember what actually happened at that National Security Council meeting. But what they did discuss, and we know this for sure, is that they wanted the UN to stay in the Congo under all circumstances. And obviously this is going along with the narrative that the United Nations was supposed to have the Congo as a trustee. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to guide the Congo and to shape the Congo's destiny. And some could even argue and Lumumba actually does believe this that the UN was becoming a pawn in this game of neo-colonialism as well. And one of the main objectives as we can see over here from the article that I'll quote at the end on page 150 The US actually wanted to consider all forms of appropriate action and now I'm speaking in terms of quotations to prevent Lumumba from pushing the West or the UN out of the Congo. And this led to a couple of things. One month after the meeting, the CIA which was involved in this plot began to bring up ideas and this is where the CIA comes in. And this is also something that's affirmed by Senate reports that actually found traces of these plans from the CIA. Or what we do know is that they wanted to bribe politicians in order to have a vote of no confidence against Patrice Lumumba. And when they saw that that wasn't working, they organized demonstrations against the government and they organized this through students and labor groups so that they could cause havoc within the DRC. And the last and possibly most direct thing that we actually have on the record that shows that the CIA was heavily involved was the fact that they were paying for armaments to be shipped to dissident groups within the DRC. So as usual, we know the CIA, we know how they move, and this is exactly this is the textbook of the CIA. 
But this was also something that was heavily being pushed by Dwight D. Eisenhower because he wanted to keep NATO together, especially in terms of the interests in the Cold War. And also the DRC, having already asked for the help of the USSR, this became of prime importance to him that he would hold NATO together. It's at this point where Eisenhower ordered straightforward action and vigorous action to be taken against Lumumba. And on the 19th of September 1960, there were instructions on the highest authority given to the CIA to assassinate Patrice Lumumba in any way that they could. That was the order that was given to the CIA uh, field manager uh, in the DRC at the time. And this is something that's been extracted from an interview of someone who was involved with the CIA and had was privy to that information as well. These plans failed and the CIA was unable to assassinate or get rid of Patrice Lumumba, who had been a thorn in their side and the side of Dwight D. Eisenhower. But what we do know is this. In September of 1960, UN officials, yes, a lot of people don't speak about the, the, the role of the UN in this entire fiasco. The UN officials, they helped to back a coup from African politicians within the DRC who were actually quite scared, but they were against Lumumba. They gave them the backing and allowed them to stay in power after they removed Lumumba from power. And they actually put him under house arrest throughout October and November of 1960. And because he was out of public view and he was not easily accessible by people from the outside world, the CIA was actually unable to assassinate him. God knows, honestly, if he was outside and if he was still you know, easily accessible, whether or not we'd have been telling a different story about who physically killed Lumumba. But the CIA had an interest in this as well. So the UN now is officially involved in trying to get rid of Lumumba, obviously because he's working against their interests. And even if you look into uh, towards colonial freedom and you look at Nkwame Nkrumah's writings, actually, on this topic, he was heavily against whatever the UN was trying to do in the Congo. And just in general, he was against Dag Hammarskjöld, who was the Secretary General, and that was for obvious reasons, as, it, as we've currently seen in this story. But towards the end of November, Patrice Lumumba escaped, and he tried to head to the central part of the DRC, where he had more supporters. But the UN, the US, and Belgium, they organized such parties, and they organized for him to be captured. All of these three parties were key in ensuring that he was be cap- would be captured. And the same thing for these African politicians that were against him. And when he was incarcerated, once again, he was incarcerated throughout December and he was in jail until mid-January. And the thing is, all of these parties knew that this was a temporary fix to the problem. At the end of the day, Lumumba was very popular in different parts of the DRC and a lot, he was a very, very famous anti-colonial leader even at that time. So they had to find a way to get rid of him permanently. Some of the reasons why they also chose not to keep him in jail for much longer is because the army couldn't really manage the jail. And the politicians were afraid that if they themselves put him on trial or they executed him, they would not survive. There would be protests or at least the government might even be overthrown by the people. So they did what we just talked about at the beginning of this episode. They decided to ship him to Katanga. And at Katanga, where he was shipped, they, like, they outwardly stated that they would kill him. So there's no way for anyone to suggest that this was somewhat a mistake or it was negligent. This was intentional and they knew exactly what they wanted to do to Patrice Lumumba. 
they decided to ship him there and on the 17th of january 1961 he arrived there at 5 p.m and you've probably seen either the photos or the videos of patrice lumumba being held by his hair and the very disturbing videos of him just looking into the camera hopeless about what may happen to him or not and within when he was actually in jail as well he wrote his wife a letter and this is what we're going to actually read in the next part just before he was to be shipped to katanga but this is this will tell us a bit more about the state of mind of patrice lumumba at that time so lumumba in his letter decided to mention a couple of things about independence and this is what he had to say this independence was never the desire of belgian colonialists and their western allies who received direct or indirect open or concealed support from some highly placed officials of the united nations the body upon which we placed all our hopes when we appealed to it for help they seduced some of our compatriots bought others and did everything to distort the truth and smear our independence what i can say is this alive or dead free or in jail it is not a question of me personally the main thing is the congo our unhappy people whose independence is being trampled upon and in the last section sorry one of the last sections of this letter he states this in a quite powerful paragraph and he says that cruelties insults and torture can never force me to ask for mercy because i prefer to die with my head held high with indestructible faith and profound belief in the destiny of our country than to live in humility and renounce the principles which are sacred to me it was in the context of this letter that patrice lumumba was then shipped to katanga after which he was tortured by officials from Mobutu Sese Seko's army and the Belgian army as well and at 10 p.m. approximately they led him into the forests and two Belgian law enforcement officers commanded the firing squad which fired the bullets towards Patrice Lumumba that eventually killed him and some of his compatriots after this it was said that either his body was burned or it was hacked to pieces and dissolved in acid after which one of the officers involved in this heinous crime took the tooth of lumumba back as a sort of sick trophy and the belgium judicial inquiry into this ruled that this was indeed the tooth of patrice lumumba and they sought to actually return it and till today unfortunately it hasn't returned due to some logistical issues due to covid-19 but the belgian government has said that they will return the tooth to the family of patrice lumumba the un did an inquiry into the murder of course they were they were involved but they <clears throat> they they had a lot of incomplete facts in that report and this is something that's uh, attested to by bruce kuklick who was a professor at the university of pennsylvania who wrote the article killing lumumba and he looked at this issue as well and mentioned that they did not have all the facts in that specific report <clears throat> on the other hand you have a belgian inquiry into the matter in 2001 where four scholars went over the evidence and they and i quote definitely exposed the guilt of belgium the country officially apologized to the congo so belgium has now of course fully admitted that they played a role in a central role actually in killing patrice lumumba 
although apologies are not going to do much when they still today uphold a lot in terms of neo-colonialist values and they're not really trying to get rid of that colonial past of theirs. The Senate in the US did discover detailed evidence about the role that was played by the Central Intelligence Agency in assassinating Patrice Lumumba. And obviously this is something that we can see that the CIA, the UN and Belgium are responsible including of course Mobutu Sasaseko who was backed by the US by the way uh, for another further 30 years in his tyrannical rule and of course the other African politicians that were there in the DRC who helped in ousting Patrice Lumumba from power so that's essentially the story of Patrice Lumumba and this is a story that not many people know it's not featuring in many classrooms but if you ask me it was one of <clears throat> if not one if not the most important assassination in Africa's history in the 20th century it opened up the DRC to a large amount of exploitation from western powers and gave them access to resources through Mobutu Sasaseko and his corrupt government and i would actually argue that this assassination shaped the destiny of the DRC when it came to its economic position and also social position in the world today thank you everyone for listening please do share this podcast if you're interested and in the next episode of led or liberty we'll be looking at the assassination of felix momi who was one of the leaders of the upc in cameroon and that was an anti-colonialist group in the country at the time thanks once again and we'll see you in the next episode